0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Starpearls
0: Avenue Small Doses Self-help from the hip Small Doses We're talking that shit Small Doses And keeping it real Small Doses With me and N. seal. So funky. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Small Doses. And we're lucky today we have two people. We have two guests at the same damn time. At the same damn time. At the same damn time, time. And I feel very good about myself that like when I see stuff I like, I can DM folks and be like, can you come on the show? And it's just like, yeah, I can come on the show. And that makes me feel good in my heart that I have laid the seeds throughout my career and my life that I can call on folks just like that. So we have Lily Workman and Kashawn Thompson here. And before we get into who and why, and what they are all about. Let me just say that I met Lily Workman when she was working, when Workner <laughs> was working at uh, Black Voices, AOL Black Voices, back in the day. Ooh, way, mm. way, way back in the day. In like 2010, 20 2011. least and half a decade. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was in New York, and I was like, can we like have a, a lunch so I could talk to you about the things I'm doing? And, you know, I really got to tell you, Um, what a lot of people don't understand is that where you are right now is not where you're always going to be. And, (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. you know, people change positions, change roles, regimes change, people move, people change careers, et cetera, et cetera. And being kind will always follow you, you know, like no matter where you go. Being shitty, however ends up following you as well in a different kind of way. And I appreciate Lily that when I was down and out, uh you were like, yeah, let's have a coffee. And, yes. and that's when you
2: and- had a uh, get your life. And we I did a whole chat with you. We did a I did the article yes. write up about it. Cause I was a fan. I was a Big fan but of show. But I was show. doing that
0: out of, I was doing Get Your Life with 225 cents, okay? <laughs> uh, and we are, and we just actually have put up season two on my Smart Funny and Black Patreon because people were asking for it, but it's not about me. Today is about Lily and Kashawn Thompson. Lily, give me the full title of the book because I don't want to fuck it up.
2: <laughs> I got you. And I appreciate you for having me. Um, we are here to talk about our new book that I did with Kashan and Rebel Girls. It's called Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. 100 Real Life Tales of Black Girl Magic. And Kashawn is the creator of the Black Girl Magic movement and hashtag the global movement. So I couldn't have been more honored to create this with her. So,
0: Kashan, so nice to Zoom meet you. And I don't meet you too. I think it's important to note that uh, when we began this Zoom, Kashan thought it was just a call. And so she was like, oh, I'm not like prepared. And then within approximately four minutes, uh, Kashan gave us an entire look. And if that ain't black girl magic, I don't know what it
1: is. That's pretty indicative of how it go. So, it's mostly skin, but again, black girl magic because I'm 48 years old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no one knows. You know, I I went to get my ear stitched up the other day, and the doctor he had a mask on, but he was like talking about things that I related to, and I was like, um, I was like, Doctor Bowman, how old are you? How's like he was like, how old do you think I am? And I was like, honestly, I never know with white people. <laughs> and just started laughing because i have never gotten over the fact that uh sarah huckabee is that her name whoever was the, yes. the
2: press secretary
0: the press secretary oh, for gosh. donald trump was 35 and i i'll just never i'll never <laughs> no. recover it's no. like life comes at you fast when you lie in right. every day so tell me about this Ooh. book you know the rebel girl series has been Going on for a while now, I feel like I have a a bunch Mm -hmm. of different Rebel Girl books, and it was overdue. This book was was. overdue for the Rebel Girl series. So can you just tell me, and I know you've said this in a number of interviews, so I know you've got the spiel down pat. (laughs) How did this go from this is what we need to do to getting Rebel Girls to take it to fruition?
2: I first found out about Rebel Girls because they had uh, this book come out. Last year, that was 100 immigrant women who changed the world. And I'm an immigrant myself from Ethiopia. So I was like, ooh, I love that there's a book that exists that really talks about, you know, dope women from around the world who moved to other places and made and left their mark, right? And I was like, there's not a book like this that exists that I had growing up that I've ever had. And, you know, I found out later and later joined, started consulting with them with this book and then joined the team full time to learn that Rebel has been around. Okay, you just skipped over... You just skit
0: over. Do you see that many st- steps to see? And I, I knew steps. about this book and then I became consulting for this book.
1: How?
2: That was magical in itself too, that whole process. And I will say, you know, shout out to um, one woman in particular, Christina Woody Train. She looked out for me and she reached out to me and said, you know, Rubber Girls is looking to hire, you know, would you be interested or know anyone who is? And I said, you know, no, not at this time, but I am, you know, down to consult and help, you know, with whatever projects they're working on. And she connected me with the CEO the CEO was like, we're working on this book called Black Girl Magic. Kashawn is involved. We've tapped her to be, you know, part of the process. And I was like, oh, if you have the creator of the Black Girl Magic movement involved in this, then I know you're really about it. And I know that this is going to be authentic and that you, you know, are giving people credit where it's due. And I was like, I I wouldn't want to be involved in a book that had Black Girl Magic in the title unless it had, you know, the uh, actual creator of the movement play a key role in helping to make it happen. So, um, that's kind of how the cards fell so you and... were just
0: sitting at home and
2: they just called you to be an editor like what when they, yeah. when they called you to consult it was to consult mm-hmm. as an editor it was to initially consult as an editor on this book yes and at the time I was you know editor-in-chief at Blavity so I spent you know and you know we went back go back to Huff Post days and I was leading Black Voices I have spent the last 8-10 years of my career in Black media so I've always been dedicated to talking about the Black experience my, primarily through digital journalism right news and media but a part of me always always wanted to work on a kids book and i was like well look how this just manifested <laughs> like this is just a dream come true <laughs> now this might be a dumb question but what does
0: an editor do cuz i think there's mm-hmm. like i know a lot of us like we hear these titles yes. like you'll hear like the title of an editor or i know in 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 showbiz well, i've never knew what a producer did they would just say like all producer <laughs> and, uh, yes and you're like all right and then you come to find out there's 511 types of producers there what are. does an editor do
2: that's 511 types of editors, too. And I there think it go. really depends on like the industry, the role, the, the company, you know, as senior editor at HuffPost Black Voices, I assigned stories, I edited stories, I wrote stories, I let the whole vision for that section during a really critical time in media, right? When like Black Lives Matter was really building and popping off and Black Girl Magic had just been born, you know, in 2013, So that was that role then. Then I went to editor in chief, which is then you're like leading the whole, you know, that editor role is still a different type of editor role. You're less in the weeds of like managing exact like word phrases and sentence structures. But you're thinking holistically about what is the vision and mission of this platform? How are we telling the stories that matter to now where I'm sort of editing this book? Where that's a whole different t- set of responsibilities. That's like selecting the women who are in the book. You know, how do we tell these stories to a that, to this audience of young girls and kids that's not so lofty or over the head, but still carries through the true mission and essence and spirit of Black Girl Magic? So... It varies. It can be anything from line editing to, you know, big picture vision editing. It runs the gamut. But I love every part of it. And I've always wanted to expand all the ways I can edit and show up as an editor or writer and editorial. And so I was really blessed to have this opportunity sort of fall in my lap. And like I said, when I found out Kashawn was involved, um, I know I think they approached her first to say, you know. Because that was going to be be my next question, Mm Kashawn. Like, how did they... Holla
0: at you from Jump Street. Were you with it, or were you like, nah, I don't know about these people"?
1: Well, Christina Woody Train also reached out to me. I just got an email one day. I was actually at work, and I got an email, and I checked my email, and she was like, "Yo, Rebel Girls, da da da, Black Girl magic book, da, da da da." They want you to come on board, and so I didn't email her right back. What I did was went Google what Rebel Girls was. I said, "Oh, okay." Well, let me email her back and say, I'm you know, I'll have a conversation. And so we had a conversation again. I was at work, I'm early childhood teacher mm-hmm. by training and trade. and so I actually had just put all my kids down to sleep, and I had a real quiet interview as you know with them as I rubbed a little black girl's back so she could <laughs> rest and go to sleep. So we had, you know, the interview, and they said they would send me a contract. I had my attorney look it over. And once he gave me the thumbs up on it, I was like, yeah, let's do this. I mean, as a person who's always been kids and always, you know, written my own little stories and a mom and imagination and, you know, and living in fantasy world a lot as a kid myself, I like the idea of having real life stories told in the mode of fairy tale. So and then mm. to be a part of you know, picking who gets to be in the book and how they look and what the book cover would look like. And even just down to the font on the front and the color of the cover and stuff. It was a wild ride for me, but it was just like amazing. So, yeah.
0: How long did that process take? Because 100 stories, that's a lot of stories. And how many authors are involved in that process?
1: We started out you know, with like, what, 700 names, Lily? Mm-hmm. A whole <laughs> slew of lists. Yeah, a, a big list of slew of names, yeah. Like When they came to me, they already had like, what, maybe 500. Mm-hmm. And I got to add some, and then we just had to whittle it down. And Lily wrote um, a good portion of the stories, but then there were three, three other Black women that wrote stories as well. So four authors.
0: Mm-hmm. What was the research like? To write the stories. And it's also like a different kind of research because you're gonna have to research like all of this like anthropological historical text and then convert it into like digestible text for kids Mm -hmm. to not only read, but read as good night stories, which is its own thing.
2: Yeah. And as I mean, as somebody
0: who wrote a book, I just the struggle.
2: But Jen, you're writing it for an audience that you know, similar to your level of like comprehension, right? Like right. we're writing it for the age level that's like, you know, we can't use these big terms and words, and we're talking about sensitive topics like racism and sexism and discrimination because that's real and that's part of these women's stories, and we don't want to sugarcoat that, right? Like it's we're not here to tell these are the real life tales of these women. It's not the fairy tale sort of like stories they're used to, and that's a big part of the story structure in itself is that. You know, most of the stories do start off with once upon a time or when so-and-so was a little girl because that's what kids are used to. But the reality is the fairy tales we all know and consume aren't rooted in reality, right? We're not able to connect to them. Cinderella isn't a real figure that I think we can all have a direct experience with. So we are taking the fairy tale format, but flipping it on its head to say, let's introduce this in a way that you're familiar with, but also make it really real and talk about who this girl was, who this woman was as a child. Like, what did she grow up in? What kind of environment? What kind of influences did she have? What were the trials and tribulations? What was a pivotal moment in her life that really defined this experience for her? What kind of bullying did she endure? How did she overcome it? And then condensing that, you know, really digging through all these interviews, all these articles, you know, previous ways that people have talked about these women especially if they are they have passed, right? Because we have a mix of past and present women. It goes as far back as like 17th century with Queen Nzinga of Angola, right? So we're like cross-referencing, finding all this information. we're like, you know, this might be too gory. Let's find a different way of like talking about this moment in history, but still talk Give about it. Give me an it. example of something too gory. I mean, war in general. Like there's people who, you know, like Wars on Shire story. I want to say gory per se, but it is it's heart wrenching because she was a refugee and she like had to leave her hometown. And she talks in so much detail in her poetry about how it feels to leave your homeland. Right. Because you're forced to flee it. And those are the real experiences. Kids may not all not all kids couldn't relate to. There are some kids who will. Right. Like I can definitely relate to that immigrant experience. There are people, you know, who endured like bullying. There's Jessamine Stanley, who's this amazing full figure yoga instructor. Mm -hmm. But she talks about as a kid, you know, that she and we include this in the book that she went through all this bullying as a kid because she was on the cheerleading team and she didn't want to play team sports because no one was really accepting of her body and her, you know, her physical stature at the time. So she would turn to yoga because it was an individual sort of, you know, athletic sport that helped her really embrace who she is in her body. And now she's this badass, fully confident woman. Women teaching women to embrace all parts of themselves. And so we're like, she has to be included. Those are the kinds of stories that really, I think, define what Black Girl Magic is. And i let Kashaun speak to this too, but I even learned a lot about what even Black Girl Magic means. Because I came into this and I think we all have this some understanding of what Black Girl Magic is to be this like, you know, we celebrate the Beyonce's of the world and the women who are breaking records and changing, you know, creating like world change and catalyzing movements. But it's not always about that. And Kashawn, I'll let you speak to this, too, because that helped us really ground ourselves and even the women we selected to be in the book. Because we're like, not everyone has to do something magnificent.
0: Not everyone has to be a, what did we say the other
2: day, Rebecca? Not everyone has to be a prodigy. Yes, exactly. And Kashawn, I'll let you speak to it, too, because that's one thing I learned a lot from you in particular.
0: Say because Kashan. I mean, I wrote a whole poem about Black Girl Magic, and I'm like, what? Yes. I need
2: to know what Kashan said. I, I, did, I, did I get it right? Like, <laughs> the poem is <was> everything. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Black Girl Magic has uh, nothing to do with celebrity, it has nothing to do with high profile wealth or status. Because Black Girl Magic was born in the hood with me, you know. Black Girl Magic was a concept I actually had come up with as a child growing up in you know dc in the 70s and 80s probably in the 70s because i was really small when i thought this but i thought that black women were actually magic because again i was a kid who was very much uh what spacey or something but i was very much into like once upon a time stories and witches fantasy. and warlocks and fantasy all that stuff to this day i'm a huge truckie, like <laughs> huge. huge. Ditto. Huge. Huge. I haven't figured out how to do that yet, but that was my thing. Mm-hmm. So when I would see my mom and my grandmas and my aunties and my older cousins doing stuff like braiding hair or cooking something, like my grandma made the best sweet potato pies. I thought those sweet potatoes were ugly. I was like, how did something so good come from something so ugly? And then my aunt, you know, she went to discos back in the day and she would come home and show us the dances. And then she would tell us stories about stuff, stuff that happened, and all. And the way she would tell a story, I could really see it happening in front of me and all that kind of stuff. So I literally thought black women were magic. And what I knew of womanhood was all black. So fast forward, fast forward, I get grown, I go through school, have all black teachers, all black girlfriends, and da. da, da. And and this is all in DC. It's all in DC. Where in
0: DC were you at that you had all black everything in your educational journey?
1: In DC, like in Shaw, in the Northwest Shaw neighborhood. Okay. Like back then, DC was really chocolate. So chocolate all, city. Yeah, we was chocolate city for real, for real. So uptown, way uptown, like almost into Montgomery County, Maryland, is where you would see white folks and white people doing it. White people saying Georgetown, which is historically black. That's another subject because my grandfather grew up in Georgetown. Yeah, so I had all the black everything, and my parents were super black, you know, black organizations, community efforts, and all that kind of stuff. Fast forward to me being in social media for a few, quite a few years. And then um, I want to say it was 2012, and some guy had said this was after a whole like barrage of negative things being said about black women in social media spaces, mainly social media spaces. And so some guy said something negative. About Serena Williams, basically trying to deny her talent, you know, that you know, she wasn't basically saying she wasn't all that. And I was like, uh, I don't know what he's talking about, but black girls are magic. And it kind of t- it turned into a hashtag from that day. <laughs> hashtag black girls are magic. And because it was back in the olden days of Twitter, when we only had like the silver of- times, yeah, slimmer times, leaner times, and you really <laughs> had to be good with the brevity and the wit. To make a name for yourself on the and I was, but still at some point it got truncated to black girl magic, which I don't like. Really? I don't like, I don't like that it got shorted. Why? I don't like it because when you took out the verb to be, which is my favorite part of African-American vernacular English, the habitual be. But when you take out the verb to be, it becomes a thing and not a state of being. So black girl magic became this thing that people thought that they could trade on. That Mm -hmm. people thought that they could possess, they could acquire, commodify, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of being just who and what we are as Black women. So I get why it was shortened because I myself did not shorten it. Somebody else did and it just took off from there. But I saw it change. I saw the spirit of it change when the verb was taken out of it.
0: And so you wanted to read in your preference, it would continue to read Black Girls Are Magic.
1: Yes, because we are. It's not a thing anybody can give us because we're born that way. And it's not a thing that anybody can take away from us. It's non-transferable. So you can't give it to your white girlfriends and your Latina girlfriends unless your Latina girlfriends are Afro-Latina. Which somebody tried to
0: argue with me about the other day and really tried to tell me that being Latina and being a Black girl is the same thing. And I'm like, where do y'all live? Let me tell you something. (laughs) (laughs) There's been diagrams for everything, but that is not a blanket
1: statement. Let me tell you something. I'm in college now. That's one of my inspired new things I'm doing. Not kind of new. You know, you're in school so- right now? I am. For I'm, what? I grew up with no degree. I came up with no degree. So I decided to go to school last year and I'm graduating next year. For
0: what yes. though? What's your what do you get went to school for?
1: Early childhood education. But you That's already know anything early childhood education That's why I got an A in every class <laughs> <laughs> I have a 4.0 GPA I'm rocking it I feel like you in the class like uh-uh no man yes <laughs> I am I really am mm-hmm. between that and my sociology education through twitter.com <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> Listen, I have a medical degree via Gray's Anatomy
1: Medical School. So I okay, completely right. understand. Yes. <laughs> so so yeah, like race, ethnicity, and nationality kicking folks' asses. It's, it really a chokehold. It's true. It's such a chokehold on them. It's like they're there, there, there. They can't <laughs> they can't make it happen for them. Like we trying, but the, the Rubik's Cube ain't lining up or something. <laughs> but yeah, so it really it it gives folks, you know, like it be having them shook. It just really be happening. I'm sure. So the whole thing about the verb being taken out of is really what made it just so much of a product, just like this hair brush I just pulled from my beauty side of my office. It's a thing that people think they can hold. And it's not that it's like black Twitter. It's nebulous. Like you can't nebulous. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you something. You can't just be giving it. Well, taking it away. And what I saw a lot of happening was people taking it away from girls like me. Like I had my kids young. I have full flesh adults now because I had my kids when I was 24 years old. And I dropped out of college when I was 19. I had these kids, and you know, I went and worked in childcare because it was easy to get into, you know, without a lot of edu- formal education and that kind of thing. And I worked low-paying jobs, but I made when it needed to shake, I made a shake, you know? So okay, DC, when it needed to shake, <laughs> I made a shake. So I got a college degree kid now. My son just moved out on his own. He'll be 23 next month. My daughter graduated from college, magna cum laude. You know, like I made it work. Right. And I was a single mm-hmm. mom. That's the magic. Right. You're not going to take black girl magic away from women who did what I did, you know? You're not going to, because that's where, that's where it started. Like, no, my mom was the first of all of her siblings, the only of all her siblings to get a college degree. And she was the youngest of 10. She had Mm -hmm. me when she was 16. So you're not going to tell me that, you know, Black Girl Magic only belongs to Tracy Ellis Ross when it also belongs to Tracy Jenkins, who just got Employee of the Month at the CVS.
0: I always felt like Black Girl Magic was really just the ability for Black women to continue to exist in our full selves in spite of the world doing its best to try Mm -hmm. to steal from what we make, to do all of the the list you just listed, you know, commodify, appropriate, diminish, exhaust, drain, etc. Yeah,
1: but the hard part about that is because so many of us have bought into the BS is that we think that certain Black women don't get to do that, shouldn't get to do that because they lived a different experience. You know, I say, I don't have no line sisters. I don't do brunch in DC every weekend. You know, I'm not on the yard at Howard because I don't have no affiliation, but that doesn't mean that I'm any less than a woman my age who did do those things. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it really hurt me when more than a couple Black women, Sent me messages saying fit, they felt like they weren't a part of it because of how it was being represented. You know, mm-hmm. Black Girl Magic only was for the college graduates, and it was only for you know celebrities, and it was only for you know people up. But here. who
0: was who was wielding that sword? Like when they were saying it was only for like it, ha- it was
1: other black women, unfortunately, and then black guys even made up a hashtag called Black Girl Tragic. Mm. I- and I know you've seen it, Amanda.
0: I did not I see think- that, but I, but I am not surprised. Right, and it's because I say things like "I'm not surprised," and people be like, "You hate black men." And I'm like, "No, I hate mm-hmm. niggas that do shit like, like that, that." Though I, yeah, I right. do,
2: and I also think coming from the media lens of it too, I think the way that we fed into this perception that black girl magic is this like elitist celebrity focused mm. sort of kind of women are because like we see it on magazine covers and in headlines that celebrate these famous, you know, record breaking women. And I think that's fed into people's perceptions that black girl magic is only this kind of like, it only looks like this. It can only be if you achieve something or if you worked your ass off to, you know, break a record, or if you became the first or became a history maker in some way. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think, media plays a big role in how we have internalized and interpreted what black or magic looks and means and can show up and, and be and I think we try to debunk that with this book right because right. it's just a different form of media it's literature. It's literature for, that's molding the minds of kids who are going to build our future, you know, and mm-hmm. it's them who are going to they're the ones who are going to literally be the ones to work with black women. Right. If they're not identifying as black, this book is made for black girls, but also made for everybody to learn about black girls. Right. To know all the ways we've shown up, to have respect and understanding mm-hmm. and knowledge about all the things that we've done and all the ways you've contributed to debunk all the things that people and society has taught them and is teaching them on the daily that we are you know less than capable or that we are not as you know smart or educated or all these things that that society tells black women all the time and tells other people all the time about who we are that don't come from us and so for us to make this form of media that was so intentional not only in the stories we told but also how we created it because it's made by black women from cover to cover right like we had all black women authors we had all Black women and non-binary artists and illustrators contribute to the art because the way these girls and kids see these women too is so important because it's not just what they read, it's what they see. And it's how can we show these women in the most empowering ways? How can we celebrate all these different features, right? All these different hair textures, all these different skin complexions, all these different body sizes, all these different like sports and athletic abilities and you know creative abilities and leadership abilities and innovative ways that they've contributed to the world like how can we in a hundred stories take you know first i mean consider like every woman every black woman who's ever existed and will ever exist is black girl magic so then Mm -hmm. with that being considered like it's a hard feat to just narrow it down to 100 women of all time, you know, who have ever existed that could be in this book and should be in this book, but we found ways to filter it.
0: And I think you also say stories the word stories change. It's like 100 stories mm-hmm. of black women. Like it changed that, yes. that's, Wording is very specific in that it, it it opens the door for it to not be just like here's 100 women who are Black Girl Magic, but here are 100 stories. And if you relate to this, you're you're in
2: here. You're seen. Right. There's are real life stories too. It's the real life tales of these women. It's not just. You know, this like fantasitical, like approach to Fantasitical? Is that a word? Yeah, no, I know. I know I just made it up. I just made it I'm a, up. No, <laughs> I like it. You I like hashtag the it. Hashtag <laughs> that Fantasitical? Because a lot of people out here are living real fantasitically. Okay. <laughs> we all live in the fantasytical world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this editor just made up a word. But isn't that you know what editors do? <laughs> that's part of your job. Right. Fantasitical. Enhance the culture that make language. it make sense. And that's all you gotta do. Right. But, you know, I feel like there's there are so many ways that we talk about black women that aren't rooted in reality. And we Mm -hmm. you know, this book, again, is like magic could show up in every way, in every form that black women show up. Right. And we were like, how can we narrow this down and be intentional and tap black women? Because we know our stories best to tell these stories, to illustrate these stories and uh, make it the best that we could. So hopefully. It just shares just as even a small glimpse and changes the minds of some people, some kids who can see themselves reflected in these pages in some way and say, you know, I always wanted to be a wrestler. Like, look at these dope three sisters who I've never heard of before—Ethel Johnson and Babs Wingo. Like, they're, they're women I didn't even know about before coming into this book. That right. I was like, wow! Like, there are so there are so many well, dope I things. We I still haven't men. recovered from Hidden Figures. I mean, I I don't think I'll <laughs> I don't think I'll ever recover. Like, from how the do fact we make it my, through life? Like, how
0: is I? How am I just finding out about this because of a movie? You know, I right. I, I just I will never right. recover. I will never That's recover.
2: Decent. So, how do we make it through life like this?
0: Kashawn, what would you say is a way that we, or the society, talks about Black women that is not real that you wanted to counter in this book?
1: I think a way that society talks about Black women that is not real is about the work we have historically done taking care of other people. When I say that as a caregiver myself, I think that people don't really realize the importance of caring for other people, especially young children. They don't understand that there is science and art in care. There is I mean, I think people know that we sacrifice ourselves, but I don't think they understand why somebody would just walk in and do that. You know, first of all, for a long time, we didn't have a choice. You know, for a long time, we didn't have a choice. And I'm talking about even after, you know, slavery was done, you know, those were mostly the only jobs we were allowed to have. So people have looked at me and I think about myself about a a lot when I do this and my grandmother when I do my aunt who, who also cares for the elderly, they don't understand that caring for others is one of the most powerful things you can do. And I've been looked at as a weak person. My work has not been valued in so many You've black, You've been things. looked at as a weak person? Yes, I've been, I've been, you know, oh, you don't need no skill to do that. you just a babysitter. All right. You know, especially because I specialize in taking care of the youngest children, children under age three. And I'm like, how many of y'all go to work and talk to people who can't talk back to you and still figure <laughs> everything out until call me weak? You know, <laughs> I'm a whole empath out here. What are you talking about? <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so I think that, When people look at, and there have been stereotypes, you know, um, developed and held up around Black women who care professionally. We have the mammy and, you know, those kind of things. And I've been called a mammy because I used to be a nanny when I was younger for white families and that kind of stuff. But I think the attitudes around Black women who do those things that hold up the rest of the world, those of us who have been domestics, like, I look at a lot of people who have their PhDs and or doing this kind of type of work right here and that kind of type of work down there. And I know down here, either grandma or great-grandmother scrubbed somebody's toilets yes. and started yes. your college fund. So you get to where you think you're going, you know, where you think you belong, and you have the nerve to look down on somebody that wiped your butt when you were a year old. Do you understand how that person laid the foundation of who you've become? And a lot of times, more often than not, it's women that look like me who have done these things, you know? So I think the way that people look at Black women who choose to care professionally. And that's why in the book, it was really important to me to include Mother Clara Hale. mm She's always been somewhat of an idol for me. And we we treated her story with care. It was written that she took care of sick babies. But those of us who know Mm -hmm. was outside at the time, we know what she was doing. She was taking care of babies who were drug exposed. Right. She was taking care of babies who parents were unable, you know, for whatever reason, be it poverty, um, some type of, you know, substance abuse issue or what have you we know what she was actually doing. She was taking what in the book we said, the sickest babies. Right. You know, so it was important to me to have kids understand that caregiving is legitimate, it's needed, and it makes a big difference in the world. So any girl who chooses at some point to say, I want to take care of babies, whether it be on a level which I do as an early childhood educator, or as a level, I've done it in the past as a nanny, or even a prenatal, you know, physician. Yes. That is important work. Mm-hmm. So I, it was important to me to have her story included because that the narrative I've experienced, not just what I've heard, but what I've actually experienced around Black women who choose to care, it's, it's, it's whack, y'all, you know? it's whack. Like my grandmother just passed in April and the lady that took care of her she hardly made any money. She hardly made any money. And she took care of my grandma for years. And it made me feel sad because without her, our family, you know, structure would have looked different. Right. Where my, grandpa, my grandma would have not been able to stay in her own home up until the night she died. You know, uh-huh. she hadn't had that woman there like 16 hours a day. So it it bothers me that people think about think about us like that just because it was something we were forced to do doesn't mean we aren't good at it. And it doesn't mean that choosing it today is a bad choice.
0: I feel like D.C. has like a well, this is an assumption, so I'm going to ask Mm -hmm. within the black community of D.C., would you say that there's a class like segregation within the black community of D.C., like a bourgeoisie that consider themselves a different type of Black person than those that they don't consider to be a part of their circle?
1: Yeah, I'm going to say now. Like, it wasn't, I don't remember it being like that when I was growing up, you know? But now, because we've had Black people come from other places, you know? Mm. I'm celebrating my 30th class year, you know, high school year out. So those of us that came up together in the city, we don't really rock like that. But people who have come from other places have this preconceived notion about D.C., Mm. you know, thinking that every function is a networking function. Oh, where'd you go to school? And what do you do? We don't do that. Like natives don't do that. So yeah, now that we have other people who have come from other places. Yeah, I they think it's like that. that. But, yeah, they do fucked it up. But I see my homegirls from high school working in government buildings or teaching at the college or whatever, or at the high school. We don't look at each other like that. It was a girl that I went to high school with. She was a counselor in my daughter's high school. When we saw each other and recognized each other that we went to school together, she didn't look down on me because I was, you know, divorced and broke. You know, she's oh, Kashawn, just this your daughter. You know, I'm gonna be her counselor this year. Da, da da da, and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, you just keep her straight. You know, you know how to find me, and you know, and that was it. So yeah, those of us that came up together here in DC back in them days, we don't do that. But the new folks, they do that. So it's a lot of them that kind of. Want to fire and you know throw salt in the game, but I don't really fool with them too much. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Lily, what is a story that didn't make the book that you wish? Oof. I mean, I know there are a bunch of them, but like, what's one that pops in your head? I want one from either of you, so Keshawn, start thinking.
1: thinking. I'm thinking.
2: No, there's so many. I mean, it was really tough because I I wanted to have as much representation of both. Yes, American women, but not American women. Just about to ask that, too. Like, is it diasporic? Yes, it's global, you know, and yeah. I didn't, another thing is we didn't want to tell Black Girl Magic from this Western lens, right, of just like American women that's just like that we may be familiar with or know about.
0: Now you see, that is interesting because mm-hmm. I feel like I get a lot of, and it can be two people and I would call it a lot, but I feel like there's, a I get a lot of folks that come into my space on these internet's defining that black girl magic is specifically relating to black american girls <laughs> and, they should me. <laughs> and that you know if you are not um 100% black american then you don't identify as that you're appropriating that like i literally had and A number of women tell me that I was not allowed to do a Black Girl Magic poem because my great-grandfather is a white man from Grenada. And I mm-hmm. was taking up space for Black women by doing a poem called Black Girl Magic dedicated to Black women. And I just felt... I mean, I knew they were wrong, but it was like... It felt so frustrating to me that there was anybody that felt that way because that means that the concept of of being a magical Black woman is once again being truncated into some shit that is not even real. Like, there's Black women all over this globe. Dang,
1: man. (laughs) That hurts me. That really bothers me because let me tell you who's in this book. There are... Biracial, multiracial Black women. There are Black women living with disabilities. There are young Black women. There are old Black women. There are trans Black women. There are short, tall, fat, skinny. Whatever, however, however we show up, we purposely made that represented in this book. Light skin. Some of them got white daddies, let alone white great granddaddies, you know? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Like, we're not doing that because if you identify as a Black woman, you got, you Black girl magic, period. Mm -hmm. Period, point blank, that's it. No qualms about no Mm ifs, ands, or buts. If you do, go talk to the manager. I am the manager. You see what I'm saying? So- <laughs> I'm gonna yeah.
2: sure.
0: you from now on. When they come sideways at me, I'm gonna be like, "You know who you need to speak to at Keshawn." Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Speak to the manager. So, like, we're not like we're not doing that. Yeah. One know. thing I say in every interview: Who are we without all of us? Yeah. Nobody gets left out. Nobody mm-hmm. gets left behind. Mm-hmm. We need every one of us to, if we're gonna move yes. towards this thing that we know as liberation. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not going to go nowhere trying to stratify and pull this girl out and throw this girl out or whatever, whatever. You're not Black Girl Magic because you went to school in Bethesda, you know, (laughs) like
0: But I think there's this thing that it's like if you have access to privilege of any kind, then sometimes we want to cancel other people out. Instead of saying like nah, like create access with that privilege.
1: Like that's yeah. what you do with it. That's exactly. what you do with it. Like mm-hmm. yesterday, I was driving back in the city. I had gone out to the supper, so I was driving back in the city. And this lady, you know those pink Mary Kay Cadillacs. Yes, she had a brand new one. Really, they still making Ooh. those. They still <laughs> making them. Trust me, They're the, the little tr- truck, the little you know, the little SUV. So she had one, and she cut me off. And nobody's in the car with me, thank God, because I used the F word. And, you know, I didn't want none of my grandkids in the car. But I said, I don't give a f how much Mary Kay you sold. You're not better than me. Like, (laughs) she can't hear this. No one can hear this. But it made me feel better. Like, you know, just because you just sold, like, a shit ton of Mary Kay, (laughs) don't mean you just get to jump in front of me with your pink Cadillac and disrespect me because you think you queen of the world now. And I and I think I thought about it when I got home, I said, that's how some people who get a little something, whether it be some privilege or some money in the bank or whatever, that's how they treat people. You know, she won't jump in front of me with her brand new Cadillac. She thinks she better than my, you know, my 13 uh, year old Volvo. Like this is safety car right here. I don't care about your Cadillac.
0: But I think sometimes we also just apply things to other folks. Without knowing the story too, without knowing anything at all, that's true. We like, do without
1: knowing anything at all,
0: because she might have just cut you because she's trying to get to a birth. Right, we like you just, but we the next were... Mary Kay party, you know, just to pay that <laughs> next payment. She might be a doula, but she might be a doula on the way to deliver somebody' baby, and she just does Mary Kay on the side, and she is able to sell so much because she's in front of so many women that she's birthing their babies. We just don't no and we I don't just know. feel like we be
1: jumping all around you know feeling out feelings you know what I'm saying feeling out feeling and I and you know I have a touch of road rage and sometimes it just comes. like I'm gonna tell you it's just a touch my husband got a big burger full of road rage I got a touch of road rage but her jumping out in front of me I don't know maybe because I you know my mom used to sell Mary Kay make me carry her stuff but um you see that <laughs> Now we know we in personal. therapy. Now we right in now therapy. It was Eighty <laughs> five. My mother was selling Murray cave and they had them big cases. I had <laughs> <laughs> but you
0: know what? To that point, though, like we talked about, like what you guys like want young girls to learn, right? Or not mm-hmm. even just young girls, anyone, because the people reading the stories is going to be learning too, right? So mm-hmm. yes, too. I did. You know? it. <laughs> but it's like, how do we want folks to feel? when they read this. You know, like what is the what is the range of emotions that that you want folks to go through? Because I know I'll just take it back to Hidden Figures. Like Hidden Figures touched me in like a weird in a way that I didn't expect it to. Like I just thought it was just like, okay, this is another historical story, but like to this day when I watch it, I watch it a lot. It just it reminds me like, yo, we are on the shoulders of so many Mm-hmm. Women who are on the shoulders of so many women. And it consistently grounds me in like, so no matter how much Mary Kay you sell, mm-hmm. you are merely a you're a link in the chain. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, we all
1: are. We he all knows. are. Whatever we do. I think that um as far as what I want people to feel when they read the book, I want them to have those, you know, Oprah be having those aha moments. I just want them to have like at least like twenty, That's, you know, <laughs> aha moments when they read the whole book. Like just like, oh, aha! Yeah, ooh. <laughs> I didn't and, know. You know that. I want a whole lot of that yes. going on. And the feedback I've gotten from friends whose girls have read the book, a lot of that is going on. A lot of that is going on. What kind of age? What age group? I've heard the most from women whose girls are independent readers. Yeah. So that's so like eight from, to 12, like eight to 12. You know. Yeah, like one of my co workers, her daughter read it. She texted me and she was like, I love the letter you wrote because I wrote the forward. So I love the, re- the letter you wrote to the girls in the beginning. And my daughter didn't even know that so and so this person existed, you know, she didn't know that. You could make a change in your community just by gardening. Like it was a lady in the book who was a mushroom farmer. And she basically changed her community by learning the science of mushroom farm. But she had come up as an orphan and she had to leave school and work and make sure her brother got to school. Then her brother finished. She was able to go to school all off the strength of her learning the science around planting and harvesting mushroom, being a mushroom farmer in Zimbabwe. And not only did she learn and make enough money for herself to go to school, she taught her community. So that was like a super impressive story to me. And I didn't even know anything about this lady. Mm-hmm. A, a mushroom farmer? Like, for right. real. We're not talking about, you know, Amanda Gorman, who is also in a book, who spoke, you know, at the presidential inauguration where we had Kamala Harris, the first Black woman vice president. We are talking about- Is a Kamala mushroom- in the book? Yes.
2: She is. Well, she's not in the she's not in the 100, but she's featured in the she is in the book. But there's also the back of the book has little synopsis of each black woman who is featured in other book. three
1: volumes of the books. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: OK, got you. Got oh, she's good. in the
1: book that way, not mm-hmm. as a one of 100. But yeah. So when I hear these stories about the girls learning about people who look like them or live like them or, you know, on the same socioeconomic level as them doing things that just help their community you don't have to change the world you could change your community but the world is a body you know and all these communities mm. are systems and the people are the cells you know and that kind of thing and the connect the tissues. world
0: is a body break that down for me break that okay.
1: down for me I, in, when i was in biology in high school i think maybe earlier than that i learned about cells make up tissues tissues make up Organs, organs make up systems, systems make up the body. And I always thought about society, you know, global society as being a body. So on cellular level, I say cellular level, we are people, you know, regardless Mm -hmm. of what we do, who we are, whatever we gather in together to make tissues, you know, and tissues are just our little communities where we are. But then you connect, and you make an organ, which might be your country, but your country Mm -hmm. It's part of this system, you know. Right. And then that right. system is a part of the world, which makes the whole body, mm-hmm. you know, and I and I, and that's the thing. That's how I think about society. Mm. And I always talk about how black people and white people, you know, we people, if anything, most especially during slavery. But the people think about us being so separate from white people. We lived next door. Those are our next door neighbors. You know, We lived in the house. We lived in the house. We lived in the house <laughs> with them. We they were next door. Like they learned a lot of stuff from us, mainly because we was doing a lot Everything. of work. Everything, <laughs> you, you know. I mean, my
0: lawyer is writing a whole like her book that she's writing is about the history of Black intellectual property mm-hmm. in this country and the ways in which it has continuously been sought to be stolen. Tell her to holler at me. And she, I'm a hitter. Tell her to
1: holler at me for real because you see. Oh, I see. And I, yeah. I'm going to leave it at that. You see what you see.
0: Because I was going to ask if it's trademarked and then I was like, you already know the answer Just be
1: looking. That. That's all I'm saying. Just be looking. Mm-hmm.
2: But that's, mm. yeah, that was why I was like, you know, So often we see it all the time, black creators making all these hashtags and movements and businesses and it's, you know, a tweet goes viral and then somebody else sees it and grabs attention of it. And then they claim it, they create the LLC, they copyright it. And the creators behind it are left penniless and without credit and without recognition. And that is daylight robbery. It's not fair. It's not okay. And it might be because we may not have the resources. We may not have the support. We may not have the people to help us get that work done. The knowledge is expensive AF. Yes, Yes. it is. Yes. But it's an investment at the same time. And we don't have the people to help us do that, but we have the endless creativity. We have boundless creativity and the things that we have at our disposal to make, such impactful change and like such creative artwork or, Business ideas are constantly every day being commodified and appropriated. And, you know, that was that was one of the first red flags, you know, for me, or at least a green flag, I'll do the green flag trend, was to have know that Kashan was involved with, you know, in this book from the beginning. I was like, finally, here we are with a book that I know if she's involved, then I can get behind this too, because I don't want to be a part of this trend where people are trying to create entire product lines or entire books or entire businesses without giving people the credit. So I'm glad we were able to tag team on this and Kashana and I have become sisters and friends and she's my advisor and big sis all day. (laughs) And I'm beyond grateful for this opportunity. And, you know, I learned a lot from her too, just like from her experience. And I share a lot about my experience as a Black woman, you know, because we yeah. are totally different experiences, but we still, you know, have so much in common at the same time. And I hope that ThruLine is also exemplified throughout this book, right? That people can see that although these Black women from different time periods and different places from around the world and different hobbies and interests, and they come from all kinds of backgrounds, They are still Black women and Black women historically have not been centered or celebrated, especially not in kids' books. If you even want to talk about- Divert the lack of diversity and the diversity gap in kids' books. And I think that's the most important because we are molding the minds of people who, like I said, are gonna become future world change makers and leaders. And, you know, even if it's just for their own community, even if it's just for them to feel full in themselves, that we are able to teach them and show them what that has looked like and the women who have come before them to be able to do that. And that they feel limitless and that they have endless potential. And they they can, like, walk away from this book. Parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone included who reads this book. Even my own friends, you know, millennial friends who are like, I never knew about this person. And wow, I'm like, this is so dope that this, you know, 10-year-old girl is doing this. Or this 89-year-old woman just, like, traveled to the North Pole on her own. Like, there's people, adventurers, and all kinds of stories. A Black woman? A Black woman, Barbara Hillary, at almost 90 years old. She... (laughs) Literally has been. And I'm like, these are just like but they're phenomenal stories. I'm like, wow, like look at her still doing this and us being able to challenge the ways we perceive elder black women and to like inspire elder black women to, you know, to take care of their health and wellness, to be able to do that. Right. We're also just living in this time where
0: we're we are right before our eyes watching legislation be created that is. Literally in support of lying and yeah. the suppression of truth. And, you know, I think we took it for granted that, um, I guess in my upbringing, I feel like I had a lot of access to this information. And even when I went to college and grad school, like, you know, there was a, not a lot of pushback. And it feels like we are in a time where it's very dystopian in that. There is a concerted effort to simply say, we don't want to acknowledge this and we don't have to. That's the other part. We don't have to. And so education, I always say education is our liberation. Like I just, Mm -hmm. there was a, they did not want us to read for Mm -hmm. a reason. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this type of book to me is so much bigger than just like a much needed, like part of a series of books. Like it is... It's revolutionary, and it's gonna fill in a gap that these some of these young women are and girls are 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 having in their education in school.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is not um one of the things I've said about the book, and I still feel this way. Is that if I had had this particular book mm. or book like this. When I was a little kid and I was like a voracious reader and I wanted to know about all things black and all that kind, of, I wanted to know more about black women, but I just, you know, I didn't outside of the people I knew, there wasn't a lot right. out there to read about. It was like Beverly Cleary, Judy Bloom, Yeah. And those mm-hmm. was my girls. And I think because I pushed through all that between seven and nine, <laughs> by the time I got to like 11 and 12, my mom was just like, go, go pick something off the show. So I've read Maya Angelou, you know, she, and so just because there wasn't anything else and I was kind of young, I got exposed to some very adult literature. I was going to say, mm, why the case bird? That's
0: early, yeah, no, I, that is not
1: early childhood education. It is not, <laughs> but I was in and reading these things because that's what was around. Right. And even today, I have a hard time finding books that center black girls, mm-hmm. you know, and as an early childhood educator. um. It's getting better.
0: In terms of like young adult or even in young picture adult,
1: books? Young adult, but picture books is getting a lot better. I would say so. I, say I feel like I, I got a lot better. But for girls who are independent readers, like 9, 10, 11, 12, like the series, like I loved Encyclopedia Brown when I was a kid, but I don't. I haven't seen a series like I've seen some with boys, with black boys, which is dope. I have a
0: series in my head that I just don't have time to write. <laughs> and i'm telling you do do it it. they will eat it up
1: because they want stuff like that so i just think that this book being what it is and how first of all it's so beautiful to look at Mm. i think the cover is just attractive and eye-catching it is put it at the right level in the store these girls are going to run to it and want to be, you know, open it and see what's in it. And once they open and see these vibrant illustrations that all these Black women, non-binary films did for the book, they just going to be hook, line, and sinker. they in, you know, but then they're going to finish it and they want to want more. So I feel like. Well, that actually, not to cut you off, but that's a perfect segue. The script
0: To our segment, The Script, where we provide the audience with supplementary materials to further the conversation. And so, in that respect, you were just saying, you know, that once they finish this, where do they go next? Where do they go next, Kashawn and Lily? Oh, so many
2: places. I mean, I think there's an abundance of works and literature and media to consume that, you know, is created by Black women in particular that I think talk about the Black experience. In kids' books, I don't think there's a book like this that exists. Yeah, That is an anthology, a collection that really talks in depth or at least in more detail about these experiences of Black women. Because so often we may, you know, see these books in kids' books that highlight Black women's stories. And they're like, so-and-so did this and accomplished this. And so-and-so made history doing this. But they don't dig deep into, like, how Octavia Butler was raised by a widowed mother, right? And how she overcame, like challenges with dyslexia and how she became a science fiction legend later on in her career but also died at a younger age right so what is the full story of these women I don't think there's another um, series or collection of stories that that do that like this book does. But, you know, naturally to me, some of the women who stand out to me are are the storytellers in the book, like Octavia Butler and all her works. So I would recommend all of them to help people expand the ways they think of the future, right? And the queen of Afrofuturism herself, for people to just be able to reimagine what the world can look like and to be intrigued and spark, you know, their curiosity just by reading her story in the book and then dig deeper to say, what else has she done? And, you know, let me start reading some of her other stories. Same with Mm -hmm. Toni Morrison, right? Same with Audre lord who talked about the lgbtq experience in a way no one really has in poetry and in prose that i think is profound in ways that no one else has really been able to do there are filmmakers like we have present-day women like ava duvernay and i love all her works and i love how committed she is to talking about the black experience Ida B. Wells is in the book, right? And we, there's so much we can do to dig into her stories about how she uncovered and talked about lynchings in America, and became a civil rights crusader and helped to launch the NAACP. Who else? I mean, Keshawn, throw something in. Throw something
0: in. Yeah, come
1: on, Keshawn.
2: I'm, I'm sitting here
1: thinking, like, are we just talking about who's in the book or who do we know? Every, I think no. I mean, it. for me,
0: it's like, what are some other works that support this. Like, I know, like, there's this book that I discovered, Making Our Way Home, The Great Migration and The Black Dream. And it's a picture book. Uh, it's an illustrated history of the Great Migration, uh, you know, from the South, of uh, Black people from the South at the at the end of slavery. And, you know, there's, like, books like The Warmth of Other Suns, which is, like, a very dense, that that's, heavy. like, a very dense book. But for kids, but for kids, it's heavy. Um this book, I this book, The Making Our Way Home, The Great Migration, The Black Dream, you know, for kids, I feel like it's like a good set between like um uh rest in peace to John Lewis, but he did like graphic novels, graphic novel. you yeah. know, mm-hmm. on the civil rights movement. And I feel like it's like those types of works, just like, you know, you all's book is the bridge, right? Because oh, yeah. like when I got to college, I became a voracious just sponge for anything black because I realized that I had been denied Mm -hmm. like the full scope of the understanding of my history of my culture of the people that had come before me and like I am someone who knows my parents but it still felt like I didn't know my identity in full because I was Mm. disconnected from how did I get here you know
1: like I hate that for for black when black people have to they have that experience I feel so bad for y'all like dang that that gotta be because I don't know that
0: well, so my mother is from the Caribbean, um, and mm-hmm. so I had understanding of, like, my Caribbean roots, and my father's American, but my father wasn't, he didn't take up the mantle of, like, let me, like, ground you in your Black mm-hmm. American culture, and, you know, it's not to say that I didn't pick up information, and I didn't have friends, right. and, and I didn't glean things, but in terms of, like, I was in school, and I was a very, like, attentive student, but I'm learning about. Shakespeare and I'm learning about Greek mythology and I'm learning about Mm -hmm. World War II and the Holocaust in depth. I'm talking like all the threads, the back channels, the minor things, like the several different perspectives, but I haven't learned anything relating to my own self in these spaces with that level of acuity. And that wasn't until I got to college.
1: That was a good part about growing up in DC when I did. was Blackly Black, Black, and all my teachers Blackly Black, 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 and everything because I learned all those other things. Like I read Macbeth and, you know, learned about, you know, World War II and all that kind of stuff, uh, government. But at the same time, those teachers knew that these Black children that they were teaching needed to know that all those other things too. right So I learned all about that. And then plus I got it at home, heavy, like heavy at home, like all kinds of books about, Black culture and all that kind of stuff was in my house. Like, in Rutgersburg, a lot of it was kind of hotel people. but that's okay. You know, parents, <laughs> you know, my parents did what they could do when they could do it.
0: Like, my mom would, like, bring these books in my space and I feel, I feel like she was learning at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because she's learning about Black American culture at the same time. I remember, I always tell this story, like, there was a point in time where my mom started saying, um, house nigga. And I was like, she said this three times now, and I don't know where she got "house nigga" from. And finally, I was like, "Where you? When, why, where you started house nigga'? And she's like, "Oh, I've been listening to Malcolm X tapes." <laughs> like, got it. Okay. Right. It just feels like it is more than ever the responsibility of the village to raise yeah, our kids. Us. Beyond just teaching them manners, beyond this teaching them hygiene, uh, beyond just teaching them self-awareness, but literally even teaching – we are griots in a real way. Like we have mm-hmm. to continue the storytelling of our uh, of our past and our present to in- ensure the future because it really is not being carried through by the folks yeah. that I think people trust to do it, right? Like I think right. I, a lot of people put that in the hands of educators that may not – even if they are black black, that at this point – may not even be empowered to do so. Right. Right. Empowered
1: right. to do so. Yeah. We was real free back in the day, but you know, Mary Berry was also our mayor. Okay. So we, we got to do stuff. <laughs> no, when we had assemblies, we sang lift every voice and sing. I don't even remember singing the star Spangled Banner that much. That's real. <laughs> I'm for real. Like in music class in elementary school, that's where I learned about Nina Simone. Wow. You know, in music, in music class, shout out to Miss Ball. I hope she's still out there living and doing music. But yeah, that's what we learned in music class. We, you know, in Black History Assembly was the biggest assembly of school. You know, every year, right. so it was the most important thing. So yeah, that was my experience. But I know that's not a universal experience. It's actually not a thing that happened a lot. No, I don't think so. I I feel bad sometimes when I hear people black. People say they didn't get that because we always felt valued and supported and every way possible. And I can't imagine going through school and not having that kind of leadership and support. It, it got to be, it got to be real tough. It and gotta gotta,
2: real I gotta, I gotta put a yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to do a quick plug too for um, just black-owned bookstores in general. Oh, yes, like, yes. Shout please, out to Mahogany like, Books in DC. <laughs> yes, Shout out indeed. to Mr.
1: Malik in LA. Yes. So Shout out many. to Brave Lit and kind Bar and the Atlanta. Bronx. Yes. Lit Bar. We went to all those places. Mm-hmm. We were intent-
2: We were like, we can't do this book tour and not go to Black owned bookstores. And because you were the one, like, I spent so much money at after every stop. And she was like, get this book and get this book and get that book. Because she took, put me on all of them. And I was like, I need all these books in my life. You're right. So I got um, like three
1: bags of books from the tour, just like going to these stores. And like my grandkids, they, they are like, it's a understanding that you will be getting books yes. from Nina. Take I try and, to Black and tell people bookstores. like for
0: every toy you get your child, get a book. You know, yes. like balance that out. And I, I do. I, I feel you with the black-owned bookstores because when I when my, my, my book Small Doses came out, my publishing company didn't do jack shit to promote my book, and my agent at the time also didn't do jack shit to press the company to do anything. And so I ended up having to plan my own book tour within oh. seven days of my release. And the only reason it came to fruition was because I went on Instagram and was like. I got to do a book tour. I want to go to black bookstores. If anybody's out there, let me know. And folks responded. And black bookstores opened their arms to me and like, and made it a priority, you know, to say like, we get it. This happens all the time. That was the other part. We get it. This happens all the time, and um, that's why you know we we are here and we know our roles. So shout out to Black Bookstores and centering, and yes, and and thank you to Rebel Girls for knowing how to fuck to do the shit right way. You know because <laughs> Rebel
1: Girls, let me tell you, Rebel Girls did this so right. It can't get no writer. That's how right they did. The <laughs> nice. Thing. I have told people, just like in conversation. Rubble Girls is not a Black woman-owned company. It's a woman-owned company, but it's Mm. not a Black woman-owned company. And this could have been horribly wrong. Every element for this to go left was right there. But they did it so right. What do you think was the reason why, though? Like, why do you think
0: they were able to do it right? Is it just the culture of the company? Like, what do you think?
1: I think it's the culture of the company. I think our CEO, shout out to Jess Wolf, mm-hmm. I think she understands that she can't do everything. Everything ain't for her mm-hmm. to say. Everything right. ain't for her to speak on, you know? And that's why she tapped me and that's why she tapped Lily, you know, because mm-hmm. she knew that these are stories that need to be told, but she wasn't the one to do it. Right.
2: Right. She knew her place. And that's why I even, yes, exactly.
1: Yes. Like, she made sure we had every single thing that we needed. Mm -hmm. Like, we wanted for nothing. That is such a beautiful story. That that right
0: there, because that it's a, that's its own Rubble Girl story of how you use privilege and how you use access to lift voices up, you know, and to give space. Because so often it's like, yo, this doesn't need to be about you. Like these stories don't need to be about you for you to make it about you to lift these stories up, you know. And right, like
1: she was so purposeful in everything. Like when we had our um, celebratory dinner in New York, we went to a black woman owned restaurant mm-hmm. like Harlem. she was not yep.
2: friend she's authenticity yeah it was so yeah it was critical and that's one of the reasons I even joined the team I was like you know from bringing on Kashawn to like seeing how they were thinking about developing this book saying what should should be and must be created by all black women You know, to like make sure we were paying people equitably and fairly to make sure that they were contributing to this book in a meaningful way and to have every piece of this feel so valued. And then, you know, to do the book tour at Black-owned bookstores and to, um, we did a whole fest, a whole virtual event on um, International Day of the Girl. It was all about celebrating Black Girl Magic. We're all Black girl talent. We had these dope twins, these Muslim twins that called Ain't Afraid, do a whole performance we had Oprah speak. We had Karis Rogers, a designer, teach girls how to style. We had um, the Chloe and Maud sisters and syncopated ladies teach girls how to tap dance. So we were really intentional about celebrating black girl magic and every part of it in a truly like authentic way. And, um, you know, to be able to be so closely connected to that campaign and to the whole release of the creation of this book and working with Kashan has been a great example of companies knowing how to do it right. Yeah,
1: and even on a personal note, like over the year that we've been, we worked on the book. I had like some major stuff happen. Like it's been a wild um, time. What was? The, I mean, look. First of all, it was the panini. Right. That's the first thing. Right. Then we got the panini itis over here. My whole house, all of us had COVID. All of me, my husband, my mother in law, my brother in law, and my stepson. Like we were down bad the week of Thanksgiving. Oh my God! Rebel okay. Girls okay. sent. Like, bouquet of flowers. And they was like, can we send y'all food? And all that kind of stuff. Then April, I lost my grandmother. Bouquet of flowers, card. Then my sister-in-law died June 3rd. Like, when I tell you why why I lost my job, you know, I had to leave a job. Rebel Girls had my back every step of the way. Every step of the way. Like, I never never was down bad financially because of them because of them. That's incredible.
0: Like it's so, we hear all these stories about toxic work environments. It's so nice to hear like an example of what it should be. Cause also it ends up setting a standard and it makes it clear that it doesn't have to be, it makes it clear that like it can be this and still be productive and efficient.
1: Right? <laughs> like, because, I mean, I had written a forward before I, we all had COVID and then I was like, you know what, y'all? Give me give me a little bit. I'm going to redo this thing. Because I had, you know, I had moments during that week and a half. I was in the bed and I was like, I got to rewrite this. This got to be a different letter because I ain't the same person, wow. you know? I ain't the same person. So I got that leeway. I shot it over to Lily. Lily did the editor, editor, editor thing. Error, error, error. <laughs> I like that. Right, like, she did all <laughs> that. And, Migo. you know, it just, right. Like, <laughs> Lily did everything that Lily does. And, you know, even some of the other stuff I had to write for other publications, Lily, like she made sure all um, literally my T's and go in my eyes without I didn't leave no words out. Yes. I didn't slip into ebonics too hard, you know. The- <laughs> this is no. Is I okay love too. hearing this That's because
0: okay we have to imagine, particularly Black women, like we have to imagine different types of workspaces. We're coming at things from a different trajectory. And so a lot of times, and, and I I mean I say this about relationships, like black women are just coming at everything from a different trajectory and we are being expected to, you know, kind of fit into a mold that doesn't have shit to do with like the trajectory that we're coming from. And it's so empowering and so enriching when I feel like there's a space that's created to be like, come as you are, and we will. Adjust And we we will be flexible enough to acknowledge that, like, you're coming from a different trajectory. And so how can we meet you where you are to get also the best excellence from you and also for you to feel the best about this? I've had to learn that as a leader. I've had to learn that as a leader because I was leading like a white lady. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I know that now, I can say that now, I was leading the way I had been led, you know, which is with very little consciousness for people's human experience in how they are working. Right. No,
2: you have to make space for that. Yeah. Yeah. You got to let people do what they do best. And
0: sometimes that means working outside of like the particular assignment, right? Like you just said, like Lily's editing your shit. That ain't got nothing to do with this book, you know, but just because there's a sisterhood there and there's a space that says like, okay, I get it. And like my team at Smart, Funny and Black, you know, this year been wild and last year was wild too. And so there's been times where like, somebody goes through something tragic they got to sit down and we we got to just carry forth and keep it going and keep that sisterhood going and you all are definitely planting that seed in the minds of the young readers who are going to read this book
1: and through the whole thing because I started school the same time we started working on this book straight A's I got A in every class My last was I just yes, finished. Hey, I, I have not gotten anything lower but than But I'm not going to
0: give you hella props, though, because, like, this is literally you're an expert. Like, this <laughs> so is like do. my friend who took Spanish class. I'm like, but you speak Spanish. She's like, yeah, yeah that's why I pass you, my Wait plan. a minute, Amanda. Wait <laughs> a minute.
1: Before you even go there, I had to take some, you know, those. Oh, the pre- core classes. The, fair, I had to take the core classes. So I had to take sociology. Well, but of course, I'm already you been to Twitter University <laughs> for sociology. <laughs> So I had to take that and I had to take environmental science and I had to take, you know, question about uh, environmental
0: science. Like, do they talk about the the in environmental science? Do they talk about the um why am I blanking right now? Because it's environmental us. racism. Do they talk about environmental <laughs> racism? Do they talk about yes. the fact that our my teacher globe is was dying?
1: All that. Yes, my teacher was all that. We talked about environmental racism, entire environmental justice. We talked about uh population, we talked about food insecurity we talked about oh shout out to trinity university trinity washington university shout out to dr kavari because that was my environmental science teacher and she was on it and she let me turn in my last assignment late because i had covid she didn't even she she was like you don't even have to turn this in all your work has been an a i said no i want to turn it in so she was like okay all right <laughs> but you already have that you already have That's your so a, okay so i turned in my last assignment. It was like four days late, but I also could not sit up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the last. Dose. Well, I find that to be incredible that you turned in an assignment and you could not sit up. Um I think this the book is incredible. I'm out of town right now, but the book is at my house. Uh, it, it arrived while I was gone, so I can't wait to start reading through it. And I can't wait for you to read it. Yeah, I'm just so happy that I was able to get you all on the horn, you know what I'm saying, and to talk about this in a real way, in a real space. And for all of you all who are listening, go
2: out there and get full title, Lily. Good night stories for Rebel Girls 100 real life tales of black girl magic available on rebelgirls.com. And from this point forward, I will make a
0: concerted effort to always say, Black girls are magic, since that is how it has been envisioned and realized by its creator. And I feel very honored to get to speak to the originator of this phrase and someone who really just succinctly packaged this concept that we know is so much bigger than a
1: hashtag. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And just Thank to say, I've been you. a fan for some years. I mean I remember when you went by another name. Oh my God. because <laughs> you remember when I was Amanda Diva? Yeah.
2: Yeah, we were talking earlier. I was like, You ready for this chat with Amanda later? She was
0: like, Yeah, it's Amanda Dima. Oh my God. <laughs> you just made me flash back to Kangos. I, I just find it so I find it so weird that there's people in the world who like there's people that I speak to like that I know that are like my friends that do not know me as a <laughs> man of diva. Like they yes. they never who's look, you was making a shake back then. <laughs> I'm yes. taking a, table. a shake. In. Always right. making a shake. We gotta make a shake. No, y'all are the best. we appreciate you. you. Thank you. Keep and going. You do. Keep growing. And um, shit, man, I feel like, you know, Rebel Girls needs to do a seminar on like this is what company culture should be. So talk to them about
1: that. They absolutely <laughs> should. And I'm look, I'm gonna hit them up and say, look. This is what y'all should do. I would actually love for, if if it was ever possible, to have the CEO come
0: on my show to talk about what a, like, positive company culture space is for women because I really don't feel like that's been spoken about in, like, a just down-to-earth, grounded way. I mean, it may... I'm sure there's books and, you know, there's Lean In and everyone's trying to just be like, how can I capitalize on capitalism? But it's like, how can you also just, like do good shit with good people by creating a good yeah, environment. I
1: think, I think Jess would be a great person for that. Like the fact that I had, didn't have to deal with men for the better part of three weeks. <laughs> like, that's a level. You know what? <laughs> and and, and we will
0: say, it's not that we don't, it's not that we don't like men. It's that we don't like patriarchy and patriarchy really be encouraging men to be their worst selves so right it really
1: does unfortunately so it was good to be free of that for a little while yes rebel girls <laughs> <It's been laughs> go out and get the
2: book <laughs> thank you yes, rebelgirls.com thank you amanda so, <laughs> so thank much thank you amanda star Audio. a podcast <clears throat> a podcast network